0: morning america vietnam we are back after a six month i don't want to say hiatus because it was more like we just left school um and it's been harder for some
1: reason to get back to record like we didn't know if we had access to the studio and like yeah. there was
0: all sorts of barriers but we and are we're back now busy we are busy bees um we can do a little life update before we get started <clears throat> i feel like i sound really like nasally not like the opposite oh like throatily i don't know what to do with my voice just sounds like deep i sound like raspy we both have like raspy voices i don't whatever anyway do you want to give a quick little update before we get into the news (laughs) yeah i mean so we're at bu (laughs) for our senior year um everything is in person all of our classes clubs everything i now have a job and an internship Um, and a boyfriend of one year and a boyfriend it is our anniversary this weekend so I am constantly busy and stressed and outside all right yeah (laughs) um I'm trying to think of any interesting
1: updates with me I exist nothing she is
0: also busy stressed
1: and outside correct I am applying to law school I just took the LSAT for the second time. So, we'll see how that went. Um, and that's I
0: think we should just get into the news cuz I I feel like I, feel, <laughs> I like, feel like I can't speak. I feel like all of the episodes that we produced last year was like this was one of the only times that we were like deliberately in an academic building getting out of the house like cuz all of our classes were on Zoom. Or like some of them were in person, but it was like not everyone would be in person. Now I feel like I feel more unhinged now because oh, I'm constantly, surra- constantly surrounded by people, constantly surrounded by nonsense, which we will get into. I mean, it's um, great
1: for inspiration for the pod because chaos is around us. The things you see and hear. Like when I say nothing is new with me, me baseline as a person, nothing is new. When I get into this episode, lots of things are new. Except for my hatred of white people, which continues to remain which, constant.
0: Yeah, that was given to me at birth and, <laughs> and continues to remain. And it will continue. Um, Should we get into the news? Let's get into the news. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So since April, lots of things have happened in the news. But we are not going to touch on the past six months um, of news. Because we can't. Because simply go into the New York Times archives, like you'll find it. However, we are going to touch on what happened this week and get into it. So let's get started. So this Monday, Merck,
1: a drug company, submitted an application to the FDA for emergency authorization for an antiviral pill to treat COVID. Oh, I did put the name of the drug. Okay, Do you so want to attempt it? The name of the drug is Molnupiravir. I don't think that's right. But it is named after Thor and like his hammer. I'm not going to get into that because I don't think it's really that important. But the drug is inexpensive and easier to administer to high risk people who've been affected with COVID compared to current treatments. And the authorization could come within weeks and would be provided to states by the federal governments, and then from there, states decide how to allocate the pills within their region. The federal government has placed an advanced order for 1.7 million Americans. So the drug is probably going to be approved. It's just a matter of like when it's going to be improved. A lot of the news I've been listening to was like, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be days. And I was like, that's not really helpful, but all right. And other companies such as Pfizer are already working to manufacture antiviral pills again. So while this is like amazing and like obviously this pill is going to help so many people, again, the best protection and like effective remedy against COVID is getting vaccinated. Of course. But that is like a whole <laughs> different strain of discourse. So like get vaccinated and then if you do happen to get sick, be happy oh, that this pill... Oh, that's an update for us. We are both vaccinated. We are both vaccinated.
0: Have been for a while months yeah <laughs> big vaccinated energy love that um or second story oh, God. so a floating barge near Rikers Island that was established as a temporary quote-unquote jail in the 1990s has resulted in the death of another inmate surprise surprise um <clears throat> so this inmate was the 12th person to die in custody this year um so Basically, right now, New York City jails are suffering from a staffing crisis, so there's been a decline in really basic services like food, water, and medical care, literally things you need to, I don't know, survive. Um, And then also, there was like a reduction of staff and an increase of violence. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. I thought you just were going to give him a title. (laughs) My buddy, Bill if anything, I shouldn't have even said his name, um, has been attacking the unions that represent the correctional officers that aren't coming to work, calling them foundational to this problem. And Mr. de Blasio has not visited Rikers Island since June, 2017. So those are the facts. Now I have thoughts. Um, Rikers Island is the worst place on the planet okay rikers island is a jail i feel like i should have established that it is a prison <laughs> it is a quote-unquote correctional facility um it's li- it's literally on an island in new york um something like relevant about its location is that it's easily forgotten about because you can't really see it you know um but rikers island is literally the worst um it is been scheduled to shut down for years now so many reports have come out I just read a 75 page report recently for my class like going into how Rikers Island consistently violates the human rights of its adolescent inmates like correctional officers will literally beat them in sites where there's not cameras like they will be pinned against each other like correctional officers will bet on fights between inmates like, every, it's just literally disgusting and horrible. Like, they'll throw bodily fluids at them as, like, retaliation for a 15-year-old, like, acting up. And keep in mind, most of the people that are on Rutgers Island are black.
1: It's also important to note, so the person who just died in custody, he actually hasn't been charged with a crime yet. He just yeah. was refused bail, and that's... I I don't know the exact percentage of like inmates at Rikers Island, but there is a significant number of inmates who haven't actually been charged with a crime yet and are like refused bail. So as a result, they're sent to Rikers Island. If I'm not mistaken, it's like
0: the majority.
1: We're gonna fact confirm that before we say that, but I will say there's a significant number of inmates at Rikers Island who have not been charged with a crime yet and are being kept in these horrible conditions. Which I will say there's no excuse, obviously, for keeping like even convicted felons in these horrible conditions. But the fact that these people are presumed innocent and are being treated this way really just goes to show how like in the United States, the presumption of like innocence versus guilt doesn't really matter if you're poor and you can't afford bail. So
0: and I'm finding it. I literally, well, I spent an entire class talking about Rikers, so 85% oh, of inmates of okay. Rikers Island have not been convicted of a crime. We
1: found the number. 85. 85%. So 85% of
0: these people are presumed innocent under the law. And there's actually a really heartbreaking story that came out of Rikers Island um, about Khalif Browder, who he was 16 when he got arrested. He was from the Bronx, the poorest congressional district in the U.S. His family couldn't afford to pay bail. Um, And he was sent to Rikers for three years. He spent, um, I believe, about 75% of his time in solitary confinement. Again, he was 16 when he was sent there. He was 19 when he got out. So he was a child. Um, And he was just subject to such horrible abuse at Rikers Island that when he was eventually released, because he was not charged with the crime that he was put into Rikers for um we should talk about the crime which he was charged for also which was stealing stealing a a
1: backpack backpack.
0: a backpack yeah um which he was not charged for and it was because he killed himself that Obama was like "Mm, maybe we should outlaw solitary confinement for juveniles I mean it's really
1: just rikers island is particularly bad just because of the like gang violence that happens in the prison itself and because like guards aren't there but even if guards are there situations like don't tend to be necessarily better which like the prison system is really flawed and what rikers island shows you is like the worst of it yeah and so yes calls to like close rikers island are really important and like that should not exist as an institution but the problems happening at rikers island are like an indication of larger problems happening in the prison system oh yeah
0: rikers now, island is not the only bad prison bad yeah
1: which i also want to point out that like i am not defending correctional officers absolutely not however correctional officers are disproportionately poor disproportionately non-white and usually don't have like A myriad of career options and so they're placed in this really horrible and toxic work environment and often they're either mimicking behavior of higher correctional officers or like as was shown through the Stanford prison experiment which was an experiment done like placing like people as prisoners and people as correctional officers none of which have committed a crime and like obviously there's been questioning of the study itself but what it showed is that with that power dynamic people just naturally abuse power so i think it goes to show like the correction officer prisoner hierarchy is never going to work in a situation where a correction officer doesn't abuse their power like I think it's really wrong for like us on the outside to sit here and be like, well, if I was a correction officer, I wouldn't do that because it's like you're not in that envi- toxic environment. You're not in that situation. I think the problem is less with correctional officers
0: and more with the actual creation of the prison system itself. I agree. I think the carceral state has so many issues. And I think, I mean, correctional officers are only one actor in the whole system. You also have cops themselves you have judges prosecutors everything like there are issues with everything um which I'm not defending the correctional officers actions like they're still acting horrifically no they are literally horrible but one of the issues is that these people are allowed to keep their jobs and continue to you know treat people this way because there's no like investigation because it's all covered up. And that also brings me to the point about how like De Blasio was blaming the unions that represent correctional officers. And like I am very much pro-union. I think that unions are good. I believe in workers' rights. But I feel like there is something to say about police unions, correctional ofri- correctional officer unions that are protecting institutional violence, abuse, human rights allegation or human rights violations. I just think it's, like... Which I will say the correctional
1: officer unions in this case are saying, like, this was due to COVID. They were, like, the COVID outbreaks are so severe in prisons that our correctional officers need, like better medical protection equipment that was the complaint yeah I and know. that's why officers officers the reason that there's less correctional officers is primarily due to three reasons one some of them have died because of covid two some of them have gotten sick because of covid three the ones who haven't died or gotten sick are like i don't want to go to work anymore because all my colleagues are dying and getting sick
0: yeah so I like in like in general in
1: general right so like in this particular instance the union is in the right in other instances where they're covering up violence Committed by correctional officers, not cool, not a vibe. However, the prison industrial complex is like we could spend a whole. Have we done an episode on the prison industrial I don't, complex?
0: I don't think so. I'd be so. I think down we to need do to one because of my race and criminal justice class that I'm taking
1: no we definitely Um,
0: because Rikers Island is just like the tip of the iceberg I just wanted to talk about it because it's like very much in the news this week we should definitely do that for the episode before my exam so I can just read through my notes
1: this is (laughs) actually study session with Alexis yeah
0: all right let's move on let's move on because it's yeah
1: so kids are more resilient to COVID than previously expected. And there was a really controversial like article in The Atlantic that had this really bold title. Your unvaccinated kid is like an vaccinated grandma. Parents should be on vacation with their kids this summer. Which, yes, the article title is harsh, but it's not untrue. It's a little flashy. It's a little flashy, but... Unvaccinated children have very low rates of serious illness or death. Being a child age 5 to 17 is a 99.9% protection against the risk of death and a 98% protection against hospitalization. So you're chance of being hospitalized from age 5 to 17 because of COVID is very low. And the primary purpose of the vaccines is not to prevent people from getting COVID, but it's to prevent people from getting hospitalized or dying because of COVID. And then for children 0 to 4, these numbers are <laughs> 99.9% for like prevention against death and 96% for prevention against hospitalization. So like obviously, once the vaccine is approved for kids, parents should be giving them to their children. Vaccines are very important. However, based on the data, kids can go back to normal life before being vaccinated. And we're seeing this with like why schools were reopened for young children, because the risk of death and hospitalization is so low compared to the benefits of kids, especially that young age of like, you know, five to 10 being in the school environment and being social. And that's why it's so important that Teachers and like other older people in the schools get vaccinated because they are more at risk. But in terms of the children themselves, like your kids are fine,
0: which is good, which is good. This is great news. Like, let your kids go trick or treating. This is our happy. Oh, yeah. Trick or treating. How fun. Um. So Elizabeth Jones is the new coordinator for Afghan relocation efforts. Following a U.S. delegation meeting with representatives of the Taliban in Doha, is that what you say? Yeah, Doha. Since the terrorist group regained power in August. Oh my God, Afghanistan. What a crazy, crazy saga it's been. Um, President Biden has been struggling with how to help Afghan people as well as avoid legitimizing the Taliban government because everyone knows that the backbone of a government is, of course, legitimacy. I learned that from intro to IR. So Jones' role is to help Afghans um, fleeing the country resettle in the United States um and, you know, Afghanistan's government did collapse when the Taliban took control in August. Um, I was actually just talking about Afghanistan yesterday. The way that it was, the way that Afghanistan was a failure really tickles me pink, I'm not going to lie.
1: Which I've been hearing a lot of stories, like, from women in Afghanistan since the Taliban has taken over, and it's, I know in the United States it's easy for us to be like, well, we knew this war was bad and we should have pulled out sooner and it was always going to be messy when we pulled out and the situation is what it is, basically. But these are like real people who especially a lot of, like, the young women got used to, like, going to school and being afforded these privileges, and now to have all of those taken away. I heard a really heartbreaking story of this, like, young girl whose, like, name they obviously didn't say, and basically, so her father was, like, heavily involved in, like, the resistance against the Taliban, like, when the U.S. was in Afghanistan, and I'm just going to, like, fast forward, long story short, now her family wants to marry her off to a Taliban because— they think it's their only protection and she kept refusing to say no. Um, I mean, trigger warning, violence. They beat her so heavily in her genital area that she was bleeding. This is her brother, this is her father, and and even in the interview she's like, "I like used to love my father." And it's it's horrific and this is directly our fault and we need to take responsibility for it and she had to flee her family because she didn't want to marry a talib and I mean, she tried to kill herself and her family like punished her by like pouring boiling water over her hand. And it's just the violence against women, not only from the Taliban, but from their own family members because of fear of violence from the Taliban. And I mean, she was, she was heartbroken. She was like, I don't feel like, how can you send me off to a Talib? Don't you want, don't, like, don't you care that I'm your family? And he's like, well, it's one
0: life versus the life of four of us. I feel like the Afghanistan situation, it reminds me a lot of Vietnam. In which we entered by, cho- well, every war is a choice, but like we entered like unprompted and then we like very suddenly pulled out because like public opinion was finally shifting toward you know what i mean like you know what i mean and then we leave and everything falls apart and we're like well that we're gone so can't blame us exactly. don't pin the tail on the donkey or we're- the elephant If we, fine, we leave
1: Afghanistan, but we don't need to leave Afghans in this terrible situation. We don't need to legitimize the Taliban. We can work with international institutions to try to establish a different government. Like A lot of people are like, well, we had to leave, so now the Taliban has power it's like okay the Taliban has power because we left the situation is not over there's many things we can do we can like provide more refugee like refugee spots because there's a significant number of spots in the United States for people coming like from Afghanistan we can work on resettlement programs to other countries like we have the money and the resources to do something and even though these aren't Americans on U.S. soil their suffering is a direct result of our actions I feel very strongly about this clearly And it makes me very upset. The U.S. sucks. Surprise.
0: Surprise. (laughs) If you didn't know.
1: So to talk on a lighter note, we're going to talk about a terrible doctor who abused his power. So a doctor at Beth Israel Medical Center in New York addicted women to pain medications, specifically opioids, and then used their dependence on these pain medications to sexually assault them. So what this doctor ricardo how do we think we say that last name no one cares um what he did is he would get his patients addicted to these drugs by over prescribing them and then once they the addiction like once they were addicted he would become more aggressive in front of his female female patients and i mean trigger warning sexual assault described he would grope his patients and Force them to perform sexual acts. If they did not agree, he would withhold their prescriptions. And so this doctor was able to keep his job despite numerous complaints. One, because he moved from a job to like job to job from different hospitals in different states. However, other medical professionals in a particular hospital would ignore patient complaints, look the other way, and continue to protect the doctor. And when he was sent to a hospital in another state, They wouldn't give that hospital a warning. They wouldn't be like, 10 women have complained about this doctor. They would just say, send him off to another hospital and be like, he's not our problem. In 2017, he was charged with sexual assault, had to register as a sex offender and surrender his medical license. But that was only in one of the three states that he practiced in. Um, he is currently free on one million bail. So remember all those poor black kids that we talked about in prison at Rikers Island who didn't do anything wrong? Well, don't worry, a sexual predator is free because he has enough money to pay bail. And I just thought this quote like from The New York Times illustrated it really well. His case illustrates failures that permanent. Why can't I say this quote? His case illustrates failures that permeate overnight of the medical profession in which physicians wield enormous power within hospitals. Misconduct is underreported and often glossed over and institutional employers are seldom held to account.
0: Really um, bad. I really just feel like I mean, we've talked about the opioid crisis before and all of the bad things that come from it. I don't know why I'm using such like like basic language I mean obviously it's horrifying the reach that the opioid crisis has I think for a doctor to not only contribute to drug addiction in that way when it is a national epidemic but also to go so far as to use his power to abuse vulnerable women is just it's horrific, horrific. I mean and I was
1: reading the article and these women were talking about it and it Like, these women didn't stay silent. Like, they would try to go to other people in the hospital. Like, a big... Like, people are always like, why do women stay quiet for so long? Which we can get into at a later date. But these women did not stay quiet. It's just
0: institutional
1: factors that continued to protect this doctor. Yeah. So, we're not going to lighten it up, but we are going to get into the episode topic. Yeah, so...
0: today's episode is sponsored by Skillshare no I'm just kidding um we are not sponsored I wish if Skillshare wants to sponsor us and teach me some skills this episode is sponsored by the the NAACP (laughs) are you gonna get into this week's topic okay um also I used to confuse the NAACP with the NCAA NCAA is college basketball, <laughs> and the NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. The fact that I didn't know what the second one was is really dark. Speaking of colored people as a phrase, um, we're going to be talking about the term person of color. Essentially, language that is used surrounding non-white people, I think, is the best way to summarize it. Our feelings about it. Your two local PC... PC... PC politically correct. <laughs> POC, parentheses, people of color. Or here. We are POC women of color, and we are here to talk about what it means. So what does POC mean? POC means person of color. That's essentially, and that's the phrase. You've probably heard it before. Um, it is the new PC, parentheses, politically correct, way to refer to non-white people so the phrase originated in the 1700s and it originally referred to um mixed people essentially the um children of an enslaved person and the slave owner which is interesting um but the current meaning did not come around until the late 1970s it Came into popularity to counter usage of words like minority and colored person. Um, It was popularized, honestly, first by Martin Luther King. He referred in one of his speeches to citizens of color. Um, So that is where you see one of the of color thing. It's one of those like person first language things um, popularized by radical theorists, including my decolonization king, Franz Fanon. I love him so much um and then in 2013 the term BIPOC which stands for black and indigenous people of color originates and I think I want to say 2015 was where I first heard of it um but then 2020 I think it was used extensively during like the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement um after the murder of George Floyd And we can get into that term specifically um, as an offshoot of person of color. But I first wanna talk about, first I wanna talk about the word minority because my professor actually the other day in class, we were reading this article called the Minority Rights Revolution. And she was like, does anyone else in the room hate the word minority and no one raised their hand? And I was like, that's kind of weird. I hate the word minority and I also hate the word blacks. These are two words that are, like, technically fine. They're academically acceptable. Like, no one is going to shoot you in the head if you say minorities or blacks. Um, Do you hate the phrase, like, black Americans or, like, black people or just blacks? I hate blacks. Like People do not say blacks. No, they do. What? No, like, my... Like, give me a example. Oh, no, like, a lot of the academic articles that I've had to read for my classes... Will be like blacks are oppressed. Yeah, the same way that they use like whites. Who, who basically is speaking like this? No, like because
1: I've only used the I've said like black American. Like let's sample census, shall we? Black, black Americans
0: Mar- are disproportionately incarcerated in the United States. Black people are disproportionately poor in the United States. But no, I I kid you not. This is something blacks. Yes, in like the blackies so I'm taking race and the politics of criminal justice policy that I I've talked about you know like five times already in this episode and we read a lot of articles that specifically discuss black people and the carceral state and in a lot of them they'll use blacks for what and then it's funny because you know how like black the B in blacks will be capitalized right which is like one of those like new language things you know you capitalize the b in black but it'll still say blacks and i'm like so what what do you think this just cancels out i do want to talk about the word minority a
1: little bit more because i also take issue with that word more because i often feel when they use let's try one more time when the word minority is used it is too general of a group for the statement that is being made. This is how I personally feel. The only time that I've heard the word minority use effectively is when discussing the model minority myth in the Asian community, but again, that is specific. It is the model minority myth within the Asian community, within the United States. And I understand that generalizations are helpful. For example, like we said, like black Americans are disproportionately imprisoned. That is a true statement. It is a generalization. But to assert, there's a certain point where generalizations are no longer helpful. So, for example, like one that I don't think is really helpful. And I mean, you can tell me what you think about this is like POC are poorer in the United States than whites
0: like that statement's
1: not doing anything for me there's too much diversity within that group itself for me for anyone i feel to make effective legislation to combat that or to provide institutions to help remedy that like that statement isn't doing anything
0: i feel like my issue with the word minority and this is one of the reasons why poc came to counter the word minority is it's like weirdly belittling like minority like i don't know if that is just the um like way that it is used I don't know if it's the connotation of the word or I don't know if it's actually like the word itself something about the word minor being in like it just seems very it's just not and I know that statistically people of color as a whole group or the minority in the United States the United States is a predominantly white country we know this fine but it's just weird I don't know. I just don't like that word. Which
1: I will also say, like, we go to BU and one of the, like, messages that they really readily promote is that we're a minority majority school. And besides the annoyance of that st- that statement of minority majority and trying to sort out I what that, that means, I've
0: never it basically that.
1: means that non-white people as a whole percentage occupy more than white people but that's not really a victory because when you break it down by racial group no single racial group is larger than the white population yeah so like as a single group white people still occupy the most state like place it be you so the fact that they like threw like seven groups together and are like look these seven groups are bigger than one group we're so progressive no literally it's is so weird. so
0: problematic and i think that's one of my issues with the term poc is that it places white people at the center of the narrative white is one group and there are the others the non-whites and the poc the scum <laughs> The below average minorities.
1: They're coming into our colleges. They're taking our classes. They're getting jobs. Affirmative
0: action. Once again. I think of someone just listen to that part of the podcast. No context, just vibes. We're going to get canceled. Um, one of my biggest issues. You know what? No. Let's talk about why POC includes way too many different groups. We already touched on this. Lack of specificity and nuance, weird for a myriad of reasons. A, it really lessens the focus on individual groups, which we will get to a little bit deeper. It also encompasses many groups with very little in common. And people talk about, like, POC solidarity, and I think that is a myth, but that is, like, besides the point. I also think that's a myth. Like, like, talking about POC is just, like cohesive group is so weird weird it erases the complex histories um of every single racial group as well as like weirdly trying to say that i feel like when people say pocs are oppressed they like to think that all people of color are oppressed in the same way and that is absolutely not true when you factor in things like incarceration rates anti-blackness like whatever all of this other language
1: barriers yeah like it doesn't take into account that there's some populations that don't speak english and so are oppressed in specific ways that are different like a black american who was born in the united states hence black american is going to be oppressed differently than someone who is an immigrant and who is also black and that conversation is not had no there's no nuance and people you say something like that and people are like well yeah obviously that's true and it's like then why are you having these really general
0: oversimplified discussions yeah also i think what's interesting is how white people can be grouped into the whole people of color thing because you can be white and be cuban like there's a lot of you know white latinx people you know, and it's like it's weird to just have like white or a person of color because that erases the nuances within what race is. Especially with like in
1: the like white, like Latinx, which we can do a whole episode on the term Latinx and how people from Latin America hate that term and like. I also don't hate what- it,
0: but I feel like it's one of those things where it's like I don't wanna say Latino. Either. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. But it's just people from Latin America also traditionally just identify with the country that they are from in Latin America. So if you look at like Argentinians, for example, right? Coming from the Spanish, fun, flirty, fresh vibes. They are white. Yeah. So including them in a category like person of color or trying to talk about like oppression within that group is very difficult, especially because late, <laughs> let's try one more time, race in Latin America is fundamentally different than race in the United States. Yeah. And so especially like within Latin America, the huge divide is between like indigenous populations and between like Spanish populations. And then there's a mix of Spanish and indigenous people and they are also different. There's a different hierarchy. It's like if you're pure Spanish, which very few people in Latin America are, and then there's the indigenous Spanish mixture. But if you're indigenous and Spanish and rich, you're treated differently than you're indigenous and Spanish and poor. And then finally, yeah. at the bottom of the hierarchy is purely indigenous people. And that in the United States is what is our mind of the immigrant coming from Latin America, they will have darker skin, mm-hmm. they will be what you traditionally people think of when they think of Latino, Latino, Latinx in the mm-hmm. United States. And so once again, Like, people in Latin America are not saying POC. They're not saying Latinx. They're either talking about someone who's indigenous, someone who's, like, indigenous in Spanish but really only identifies with the Spanish part. Like, the discussion of race is completely fundamentally different. And our projection of trying to tell, again, another region how to identify their racial structure... Weird. What's up with
0: that? My biggest issue with the term POC is how often it will be used to describe a specific racial group. And I'm going to give I'm going to give some examples. The Black Lives Matter movement is just like really awesome for POC rights. Someone did not say that. I, that's like a generalization of like people are scared to say the word black. This is like this is kind of branching off, but it's an important thing that really rubs me the wrong way. The first way that I've ever encountered this is people saying African-Americans instead of Blacks, which also which I just said Blacks. I <laughs> see
1: you are the enemy. I'm the problem, which well, also not all African, like, wait, not all Black people are African-American. So if you call someone African-American who's just Black, they're going to get mad at you. It's weird. Do I need to not all Black people are from Africa? I it's just, weird. I just
0: wanted to. It's weird. I saw someone describe Idris Elba, who is a black British man, as an African American. And part of me like literally crumbled up and died. I was like, you can say black, like it's fine. You can call him a black man. It's this thing of trying, this is like the main, I think, general issue. People try so hard to sound progressive and to sound woke and to be quote unquote politically correct that they just sound literally stupid literally dumb no because if you are like seeing a group of black people and being like oh my god people of color no they're just black you can just say that they're black like honestly i feel like the terms blacks is not great but it's still better than personal color it's weird to on erase, the hierarchy it's weird to erase someone's racial identity by just being like oh you're non-white yeah where it's like we just talked about all of the variation that comes within non-white and then it's like to just like why why are you trying to ignore that someone is black and i i'm talking about black people specifically because i am black a and because i think it's the most prominent example i think specifically with blm and everything and then suddenly people being like poc are having their rights violated and it's like yeah but in so many fundamentally different ways and i know you're just talking about police brutality and i know you're just talking about black people like just say it just say black people just say it say with me now black people amazing like oh my god it so pisses me off the like and there's probably some sort of like oh, the ignorance of the race is actually, like, really harmful on, like, a deeper level. I don't even care. I don't even care about, like, the academic theoretical part of it. You just sound stupid. You sound dumb.
1: Which I'm going to go into defending the term POC, even though I hate it with my whole being. But one of my professors, Professor Lori, for my comparative race and migration class, I brought it up in my class because I think I kind of brought it up in response to, like, a comment that a girl made about how she wanted, like— She took a class. I think she was talking about the Longman class that we took, like international human rights, applying human rights in Africa. And she was like, yeah, I really wish that like a POC taught that class. And I was like, do you wish a black professor taught that class or do you wish someone who is non-white taught that class? Which I didn't say that out loud to her, but I think what she meant is she wanted someone a black person, mm-hmm. whether they were from Africa or not, which we can get into at a later date, yeah. to teach the class. I think that's what she was thinking in her head. And so I said, I did directly respond after, which now it might have seemed targeted. That I don't as like the, you should. I don't like the term POC. And something that my professor, which she is a brown woman, um, said is that I have had students come up to me and be like, I was so excited to see you teaching comparative race and migration um, because, you know, she's a brown woman. And I I agree with that sentiment in the sense that I also saw her teaching comparative race and migration. And I didn't relate to her because, you know, she's Bahrainian and I'm Indian. So I wasn't like, oh, we're you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. see her and think immediately she was Indian. I just got excited that another brown person was teaching a class, which she said she's had students, other POC, who aren't in the same racial group as her echo that sentiment and it's always non-white students who tell her that Mm -hmm. so she said in that context like non-white students are excited that i'm teaching this class not because of my specific racial group but because of this concept of poc solidarity
0: yeah i totally get that i think that i think that we're being kind of harsh and when are we not (laughs) i mean I I can definitely see that. Um, I'm just now realizing I don't think I've had a single professor that was non-white but not black. Really? Yeah. I mean, she's, like, very far and few between. <laughs> yeah, because most of my professors have been white men and or women. And then I've had, like, two black professors thrown in there which I will say I'm
1: taking another like class, which is race and gender in news media. And it's taught by this like older white woman. Mm -hmm. And the one reason I think that her teaching the class is okay is she very serves, very serves, very much serves as just like a listening and a moderator. And she provides content where she uplifts like if it's a racial group she's talking about, she makes sure that it's produced by that racial group. So, like, we watched a documentary about, like, Ida B. Wells that was produced by a black person. We watched a documentary, another documentary about, like, critical race theory. We Sometimes she'll have us, like, watch Tucker Carlson videos and, like, critique them and be like, why oh. is he so effective and why do people listen to him and like him? Which I think is important and I think it's a valuable exercise. But... That's the only, re- you know what I mean. She's uplifting yeah. other voices, so I'm okay with it. No, yeah. And then last class, she was like, "I feel like we've been focusing a lot on like negative consequences for Black Americans," and she was like, "While I think that those are still true, like I want to focus on Black joy." So she showed us an entire documentary about like a Black music festival, and oh, like that's nice. I appreciate it. and like even the like the decade of that music was like rising up against racism, like that's what the songs were about, but it was still like. It was a nice contrast because she, like, basically she was saying, like, people who are oppressed aren't just always oppressed. Like, they have moments of joy. So, like, in that sense, I think she's doing a really good job. Same with, like, my women and social change in the developing world. Again, taught by, like, a much older white professor. But, like, all the academic articles we read are from people, like, in the region. Like, we're doing a case study on India. And so it's, like. I think like white people get so defensive because you're it's like, oh, you only want non-white professors. I just named two older white women who are teaching classes about that primarily focus on non-white people, but they're still doing it in an elevated and sophisticated way. Yeah. So you're the problem.
0: I would say the same. Again, I'm going to talk about my race and crime class just f- one more time. Maybe not even for the last time. What class is that again? I'm sorry. I missed it. Yeah. So it's P.O. 316, Race and the Politics of Criminal Justice Policy. I have no idea if that is what that class is called. Oh, it is. Taught by a white man. A white man. See, that is like one, two hit to to the brain. But he's a woke king. We love him. Um, Shout out to Spencer. If you're listening, please don't be. (laughs) Please don't be. Um, Something I want to bring up. I literally just left my race and crime class yeah I don't know if I've brought that up yet I just left that class and like I was thinking about this the entire time and this relates to our topic of people trying to seem so politically correct and just seeming so stupid I'm gonna I'm gonna say stupid I'm not gonna sugarcoat no, it. like it's embarrassing no it's actually embarrassing people talking about because that whole class is about black people every single article we read is about the plight of black people and like obviously there are brown people that are roped into police brutality i'm not going to say that it's just a black issue but like we focus pretty heavily on black people because they're the most disproportionately harmed group why are people raising their hand oh my god like the dehumanization of poc children is crazy to me why are you saying and that first of all stupid point like why did you say that but also when people say poc women or like poc children poc that's not grammatically correct no you're dumb you're dumb because it stands for person of color if you want to say woc women of color say it if you want to say coc children of color that's not an acronym but like say children of color say blank of color it's person first language for a reason poc is not an adjective what they want to say is colored people but they're not gonna say that is person of color that much different than colored people like oh let's my god, unpack no. that um hashtag story time. i was facilitating an interview a few weeks ago and this girl the question was about like diversity and she was like oh my god like colored people no no literally she's like colored people and i'm sitting there uh, me black the other two people in the interview, like the other two facilitators, black and black. We're all black women just sitting there. She's like, color people, whatever. And then she goes, this was probably more racially charged. She goes, yeah, like black folks. Personally, I don't think that anyone that is not black should be saying black folks. That is racially targeted. Well, I think
1: I think it's the context in when she said it. And because I've heard people say black folks because they're trying to include like non-binary folks. Just say people. I mean yeah I don't really I don't like the word folks I think I do that's say nice. non-binary folks
0: just say non-binary people actually I don't know if I ever have said folks I don't know why I'm defending folks just have you ever people. heard me say the word no, folks just say people that's another thing like you the... don't need to sound so like casual and cool like yeah the black folks because it just sounds like you're a racist old white man being like <laughs> those black folk I don't like them <laughs> I don't like them one bit <laughs> get those colored people out of here saying colored people in 2021 was such a mind fuck to me like I literally I kid you not like I, my face was probably like and we were on zoom I was unmasked I was like probably like you can't I don't know why I'm doing that Leah knows what I'm talking about I did see the face oh, you can see my face colored people colored people oh my
1: so I just want to go with a little takeaway Do I think the term POC is toxic? Yes. Do I hate it with my whole being? Yes. Do I think it's better than minority? Also yes. But I think the main takeaway is if you have a specific racial group in mind, which chances
0: are you do, just say it. Just say it. I mean, is there necessarily a better term than people of color when you're referring to the entirety of non-white likely not however why are you yourself, referring to the entirety of non-white <laughs> that's what I mean unless you're specifically talking about white supremacy and its effects on people of color in as individual groups within the broader umbrella of people of color why are you why why if you're first of all if you're going to use the term poc examine why you're using it and then if you are like yes this makes sense for me to use it i've done some introspection please use it in a grammatically correct way <laughs> this is another Learns reminder basic this is another reminder that poc is not an adjective it is a noun thank you that yeah
1: thank you good night and just shut up just don't just don't
0: (laughs) stop talking about poc just stop (laughs) no more i can't take it anymore